Welcome to the AUKUS Amplified Podcast. My name is Sean Patel, and I am the chair of the AUKUS Digital Health Committee. I'm joined by my co-host and Digital Health Committee member, Mark Mildren from Oregon. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. We're coming to you live from the AUKUS annual fall meeting, where we are highlighting some of the key papers from the meeting. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Jacob Wilson from Tennessee to discuss his work titled Resurfacing the Thin Native Patella. Is it safe? He also received the AUKUS Surgical Techniques and Technologies Award for his work. So congratulations, Jacob, and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to it. So Jacob, if you wouldn't mind going through, what was the motivation? What made you want to study? We've all had these patellas that we look at intraoperatively, especially if you're resurfacing where it's thin already and you wonder, am I going to be causing more damage? Am I going to be risking a periprosthetic fracture, a patellar fracture by resurfacing? What was your motivation for wanting to study this particular topic? Yeah, thanks for the question. I think exactly what you said was our motivation. So intraoperative, we always have this sort of conundrum, you know, is it safe to resurface this patella? And oftentimes these patellas are severely worn, you know, particularly on the lateral facade. So deciding whether or not to, to resurface that, I think can sometimes be difficult. And we have some data from the Mayo Clinic, which when they looked at selective resurfacing, that those patients who had a thin patella as the reason for not resurfacing, they actually were at a little bit elevated risk, both for revision. Granted, that was driven mostly by infectious outcomes. But that being said, we knew that they didn't do great. So the question remained, though, still, you know, is it safe to resurface that patient population? And so that, that's why we ultimately designed the study. And do you mind going through the methods a little bit about how you research this? Yeah, that's a good question. So you know, we had the benefit of the Mayo Total Joint Registry at, at Mayo Clinic, and so we utilized that to identify patients who had undergone a primary total knee with resurfacing over a 10-year period, so 2000 to 2010. We did that so we'd have adequate follow-up. The more difficult part was identifying the patients with thin patellas. And so fortunately, over the years, there have been multiple surgeons who have recorded the, the patellar thickness, both pre- and post-resection in the operative note just sort of routinely. So we were able to utilize that and use uh, sort of more or less a rudimentary uh, form of natural language processing to search the operative reports in order to identify that patient population. So we ultimately defined the thickness that would you know, justify a thin native patella is less than or equal to 19 millimeters. And so on operative note review, we were able to sort of identify those patients and then include them for you know, further study. Just a quick question, and yeah. you don't have to answer this honestly. <laughs> How accurate do you think those measurements were? And yeah, who so, was making those measurements? Correct. Was it generally residents? Was it the attending? Yeah, so generally speaking, I think the workflow at Mayo Clinic for most surgeons is to resurface the patella as the last step of the total knee. So for that reason, the attending is almost always in the room for that. There would probably be some cases where the fellow would be measuring those. I think unlikely to be mostly you know, residents in most cases. But there's no doubt that there's some potential for bias there, right? If you, if you resurface and your post-resection thickness is, say, 9 millimeters, you may not be excited to record that in your operative note. So that's a possibility. That being said, hard to quantify that and hard to know. Okay, so practically, what do we do with this paper? You've got a patella, it's completely eroded on the lateral side. You know, you measure 11 millimeters at its thinnest point. What are you doing? Yeah, so I think, I think that's a great question. But what this paper tells me is that when I'm in that exact scenario, that I have some confidence that resurfacing is still safe practice. But I think that that's with some qualification. There are going to be some patellas, I think, that are overly thinned that you, you should not and, and cannot safely resurface. And what that means to me is that I would like to see, you know, a minimum thickness post-resection of 12 millimeters. That being said, in our series, we had, we had 23 patients who had a patella which was below 12 millimeters post-resection. 
none of those patients actually had a complication or a fracture, but we did have three fractures in our cohort, which we'll discuss later. That being said, when I see these patients with a thinned out lateral facet, for me, it gives me confidence that I can resurface this patient safely. And, and if it's that worn of a patella, I'd, I'd like to. And you guys had a fracture rate of around 2%, but you also had a similar fracture rate in your unresurfaced patellas. Were those falls postoperatively? What was the mechanism of those fractures? Was it an intraoperative fracture? Yeah, no, so none of them were intraoperative, at least regarding the patella. There were a few intraoperative femur fractures at a condyle, but for the patella specifically, no intraoperative fractures. Most of them were actually a traumatic low energy mechanism, so standing up from a chair, for instance, in one case. So I think for that reason, that's why all three of them could be treated non-operatively. You know, they're minimally or mildly displaced. The eccentric mechanism remained intact and the components were well fixed. And so they all went on to uneventful healing. But still, I think that's the concern, right? With an overly thin patella, you potentially could be at risk for that. And I believe it was a higher number of female patients that experienced this fracture. Would you change whether you resurface or don't based on gender? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's interesting because our concern was that potentially male patients would be at higher risk. We have data that says that they're they're at higher risk, big male patients. But 93% of our cohort was actually female. So I don't know that we can necessarily definitively say one way or the other whether gender was a risk factor because it was such a predominance of females. It just so happened that all three fractures occur in females. So for me, you know, intraoperatively, that doesn't play into the, to the algorithm here. And you said on stage that you were resurfacing about 50%. <laughs> Where do you see yourself going with that going forward? Yeah, it's funny. I've done about six total knees in practice so far, so that's a three <laughs> and three. But I think that's probably where I'll settle, around 50%. And if I err, I think I'll err on the more aggressively resurfacing for now. I think, again, qualification to that is depending on what components you're using, I think you have to have a patella-friendly design. But for me, I think that there's risk with anything we do, so that includes resurfacing or leaving it unresurfaced. To me, I think that at this point, there's enough data to support not resurfacing the patella, again, with patella-friendly designs, and particularly in patients who are at high risk for fracture. What do you think are some of the patella-friendly design features? Yeah, I think most contemporary designs, not all, but most have sort of settled on a design that's more patella friendly. I think that's mimicking more of a native trochlear morphology, whereas some of the older designs sort of ignored the trochlea. Most contemporary designs have taken that into account. And then really, I mean, I think that when you look at registry data, most contemporary designs that are currently in use seem to be pretty relatively patella friendly. But again, there are a few that are being used. I think if I were using that component, I would resurface the patella role of press fitting a thin native patella if you're resurfacing? Would I press fit? No, I would not. So I I think in this series, they were all cemented, all polyethylene components. And I think that's critical. I think press fitting that would be a bad choice. And I think that certainly would put you at higher risk. And at this point, we'll see where the contemporary data goes. I'm a little hesitant to use a press fit patella at all at this point. What's your technique for non-resurfacing? Are you doing a osteophyte removal. Yeah, so for me, what that is, a circumferential denervation and then a lateral facetectomy as well. On, on every patient, I'm leaving on resurface. I would say that I tend to be a little more aggressive with a lateral facetectomy. That's not just sort of getting the osteophyte off. I genuinely take a saw and not a lot, but I take out the lateral facet. And so postoperatively, what I want to see is you know, the medial facet tracking nicely within the trochlear groove and then no sort of lateral facet overhang where I'm having contact with my component. Well, anything else you think you would like to investigate in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think our paper gives some good data, but I, I think that the downside to it is we don't have comparative data. So still, even with this nice series, we can't say definitively that you should or shouldn't resurface the thin native patella. 
So I think right now, the, you know, surgeons are at least armed with data to make an informed decision, but we still definitely couldn't say one's better than the other. So it would be nice, certainly, to have a series, you know, a comparative series. Uh, the reason we weren't able to do that in ours was that surgeons recorded a patellar thickness if they resurfaced, but they didn't if they didn't resurface. So for that reason, we couldn't compare and know that we had a similar cohort. So I think moving forward, that would be where this would need to go, recognizing that these are uncommon, right? So in our series, 2.7% of patients had these thin patellas. So it's a difficult problem to study because it's such an uncommon clinical situation. Yeah. How about if you're in the situation where you over-resect and you end up with a post-resection patella of less than 12, do you bone graft to get an additional thickness, or what would you do in that situation? Yeah, so for me, I guess it depends on how much I've over-resected it. Hopefully avoid it in the first place would be the uh, <laughs> ideal treatment there, but I do tend to be a little conservative on my cut. I, what I typically do is I cut the meat offset, and I want to airball on the ladder offset on my initial pass with the saw. I then actually, and this is inefficient, most people probably won't love this, I take a caliper measure where I'm at medially, and then I can chase it all the way across laterally so that I ensure that I don't do that exact thing. That being said, if I'm at, you know, we had some patients that were at 10 millimeters post-resection in this series. So if I'm at 10, I think that you sort of just, I would go ahead and implant the patella and hope for the best. Other authors have talked about, you know, this screw and rebar technique. I, I Personally, I don't have any experience with that, and I couldn't comment on that. But honestly, I would put the patella button on and, and hope for the best. <laughs> so let's say you have a patella that's 15 millimeters pre-resection. Are you taking it down to 12 and then overstuffing, or are you risking a thin native patella and then implanting a patella onto that? Yeah, so that's a great question. And that was one of the things we wanted to address in this study because that's what people would always say was a concern. And that's actually why we chose 19 millimeters was that with most contemporary patellar buttons, that would lead to an increased composite thickness of the patella. So when we looked at this, from pre-resection thickness to post-reconstruction thickness, it increased by a mean of three millimeters. And so what we wanted to look at was our range of motion, obviously, postoperatively. And so that it didn't seem to change, at least on a mean basis. We had a mean of 108 degrees of flexion to extension on uh, preoperatively and then 114 post-op. Two patients did have an MUA, but for a composite, that's a 1% rate of MUA, which would be relatively consistent with what we have at our institution. And then beyond that, we only had two patients that ultimately didn't achieve 90 degrees of flexion. So we felt that looking at the data as a whole, that overstuffing or, or you know adding too much thickness to the patella and the anterior knee, and this thin patella population didn't seem to be a big factor. Great. With that, we'll wrap things up. And I'd like to, again to thank Jacob Wilson for joining us today. Congratulations again on your award. And uh, encourage our listeners to stay tuned for our next AUKUS Amplified podcast. Great. Thanks for having me, guys.